Good morning. It's good to see you all. Boy, we've had some great worship. I could listen to that sister pray for another hour if she was willing. Um, That was just beautiful. And uh, so much has been great already. Uh, First of all, I have to say thank you because you already are a supporting church of Equipping Leaders International in Malawi. Uh, You've supported Karen and and, uh, and myself for a number of years, and we deeply appreciate that. Uh, You are in your efforts right now focusing on what we call Timothy's, from 2 Timothy 2.2, which Paul tells Timothy, train faithful men who can train others. As you learned last week, if you were here for the video, 95% of pastors in the world have no formal training, which is a really stunning statistic to meditate on. It tells you how poor the church is around the world, that 95% of pastors have no formal training. Um, And we we are working to resolve that uh, the best we can. We're one of many, many organizations doing that. One of the things that's a little different about us is this Timothy strategy. You might think of it not as a Timothy course, but a Timothy strategy, where we go into a city or a village or an area, and we train a group of pastors. They're not all Presbyterian. uh, Many of them are Pentecostals. We have a lot of fun when we go to Malawi. Uh, We train them, and then they go out in pairs to train pastors, many of whom are in that group who have no formal education. And this year in your thanks and giving efforts, the ELI Malawi piece is our Timothy strategy, particularly in the central region of Malawi, the capital city of Lilongwe, and then in a refugee camp with 55,000 people from seven nations, we have Timothys there. It's called Zaleka. And so Lilongwe and Zaleka, if you raise enough funds, you will be able to sponsor a Timothy course in Lilongwe with our most experienced, one of our most experienced groups, and then in Zaleka with one of our new groups who are going to people who are refugees, training their church leaders uh, so that the church, the real goal, is that the church would be healthier and stronger. The Great Commission is going out rapidly in many parts of the world, like sub-Saharan Africa, It's going out with untrained leadership. And so we're trying to help. We're trying to be a part. We're cutting in line uh, to that place in the world where so much is happening. Uh, There's so many stories that we could tell you. But, you know, I I thank you for your interest and your support. And I want to mention one other way that you can be involved besides giving and praying for ELI Malawi, and that is going. So if you are a Bible teacher, particularly if you have a husband and wife team where both are Bible teachers, you've taught adults, Next summer in Zaleka, in the long way, we're teaching a marriage course to our Timothys and a number of guests. It will be incredibly fun and exciting. Um, And we would love to bring several couples from this church to Africa. Your lives will never be the same. Uh, You thought worship was lively this morning? Uh, You're going to maybe get your dancing shoes out, and you're going to see God do some wonderful things. So I want to invite you to pray and think about that. And with that, I'd like us to turn to the scriptures, to two wonderful parables Jesus gave us about the kingdom of God from Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 32. Give attention, please, to the word of God. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. 
But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches, so the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Pray pray with me. God, our Father in heaven, uh, we've already just been encouraged so much in worship together and in prayer, and we want to ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to preserve these words, faithful and true. May he speak through them to us. May we hear them, believe them, uh, cherish them as the words of our Savior, and respond in faith, love, and obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In his autobiographical account of uh, being a company commander in World War II, Charles McDonald relays the story of his first leadership in combat. He was 22 years old. He was a captain in the U.S. Army, and he was preparing for his first offensive operations as company commander of Item Company, 23rd Infantry Division, U.S. Army. He had a lot of fears as he prepared for conflict. He was inexperienced. Many of his soldiers knew much more about war than he ever would learn. But before he could launch his own attack, as he was getting ready to launch, instead he received an attack on his position. Those above him said, you need to dig in and you need to defend at all costs. It's always funny how the people in the back say that, right? And the people in the rear, you need to defend at the cost of your life. Why don't you all come up and help, you know? So fierce was the fighting, so so, uh, intense, that his artillery support began to be limited to just three rounds. He saw his first fatalities as a commander. He had tanks supporting him, but just two tanks, and they were facing 10 German tanks. They quickly retreated. So now he's just got soldiers, and he's facing 10 tanks and overwhelming infantry with limited support, and his unit began to retreat in pieces. In other words, it just broke apart. And he himself began to run for his life, surrounded and cut off, trying to find regimental headquarters, wondering, will he live? But in some ways, he was more afraid that he might live and would either be court-martialed or have to resign. What McDonald didn't know was that he was fighting in the opening rounds of the Battle of the Bulge, the largest and bloodiest U.S. Army battle of World War II. Surrounded and cut off, and overrun. Does it sound familiar at all? You think about living as a disciple of Jesus today in the United States of America. Has it felt in the past few years at times like we're surrounded, we're cut off, and we're overrun? Even worse, sometimes our forces are fighting against one another. We're divided. Debates turn into fights. Thanksgiving dinner. You think, well, these are the three topics we won't cover, right? Modern sexual ethics changes in America have left some churches in headlong retreat from biblical norms. While others of us are a little older wonder, what just happened? How did all this happen so fast? Sometimes it feels like we're surrounded and cut off and in retreat. 
And into that situation, into that thinking, comes Jesus with two parables of the kingdom of God to wake us up to the power of the gospel. And we learn two things if you're an outliner. The kingdom of God grows mysteriously, and the kingdom of God grows dramatically. First of all, Jesus reminds us the kingdom of God grows mysteriously. He says the kingdom of God as if a man is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Now, the background of these two parables is the, uh, just a little bit earlier in Mark 4, another parable that I find sometimes a little scary and uh, discouraging, and that's the parable of the sower. So the farmer is like the pastor, the evangelist, the disciple of Jesus, the church member, who's going out and telling people about the gospel of the kingdom. And it falls on different soils. And at least by example, there's only one good result. There's only one place where the seed falls and you know there's tenfold or a hundredfold results. But the other ones, and it, it seems, I don't know what Pastor Andrew would say, but it seems like just an observation of what ministry is really like. Some people start off running fast, and then all of a sudden, where did they go? Well, they're off not following Jesus right now. I can think of some people by name that are like that. That's, that could be a little discouraging, but into that, he said, let me tell you a little bit more about this fertile ground of the gospel and what it looks like. This is a parable to say, do not be discouraged. The farmer goes to sleep and the earth produces by itself the result. It makes me think of our uh, teammate in Equipping Leaders International, Michael Cooley, who now has been so successful in training our Timothys, our pastors that train others. He's been training them in farming methods to help them feed their families and even in some cases uh, maybe begin to fund some of the efforts of training on their own without us. And so I had a little problem I asked Michael about. I had this big hill in my newish house, newer house, and I didn't like cutting it. It was a real hard thing to do. And um, I said, what do I do? What can I do with that? So I just leave it alone. He said, well, you need to put a wildflower meadow in. Just you get native plants, and he told me what website to go to, and being um, uh, older and more, uh, more, with more wisdom, I paid somebody to get the soil ready, because it was a hill, and it was full of rocks, and then, with joy, I sowed the seed, and uh, this project is unusual in that you sow the seed in the fall, you don't see any results until the spring. Oh, boy. You know, I'm like the farmer, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, and then spring comes, and the most beautiful wildflowers come up. I don't do anything to help, I don't fertilize, I don't water, it just happens on its own. And this year, it did it again, all by itself. Once a year, I tend to it. Beautiful thing. Jesus is saying, that's what the gospel of the kingdom is like. You plant the seed, and... and not only do you leave the results to God, but there are results. There are powerful things that happen. You ever sulk as a Christian? You ever go, nothing's working. No one's being changed. Nothing is happening. I remember one Sunday morning at Grace Community Church in Charlottesville, where I was pastor for a number of years, 
came in on a Sunday morning like this, the worship team was warming up like they were before, and I was praying silently, you know, not as a holy man, you know, oh Lord, I just love you, can't wait to worship you. It was more like, Lord, I don't even know how I'm gonna thank you today. Like my heart is so full of tension, conflicts with church members and staff members and all that going on. I don't remember even what the problem was, but I remember specifically saying, I don't know how I'm gonna praise you because my heart is just not there. And I feel a tap on my shoulder and it's a woman I've never met before. And she says, you're Don Ward. It was a funny way, she had a funny way of saying things. She said, you're Don Ward. I said, yes, I am. She said, you saved T.C. Epperson. And she saved me. And she had come from Lynchburg to Charlottesville that Sunday to meet me. The funny thing is, I don't think I saved T.C. Epperson, both theologically, and I thought she was saved when I met her, but she did know a lot about grace. I think she had something of a grace awakening, and she led this woman to Christ, and she was so grateful that she got in her car, drove an hour and a half to come to church. My friends, I had no problem praising God that Sunday. I was reminded, the seed grows. You plant the seeds, and it just grows like those wildflowers. The gospel has a power. Now, I wanted to ask you today whether you had low expectations, whether you felt surrounded or cut off, but, but I got to encourage you, church, because these four groups that you want to help, that is not a negative mindset. Like, what you're doing is you believe there's a God of the impossible, and you're expecting him to do things when I think about these. I mean, you support this group that's working in Gaza. I can't make this up. We know what's going on there, and it breaks our hearts. We pray for peace in Israel and in Gaza. But you want to help them plant churches there. You believe that Jesus Christ could change the hearts of people. And maybe even they could love their enemies. And you're rel sending relief through those churches directly. What a great way to work with the church in worlds that are so different than ours. I'll talk a little later about these projects in Richmond that you're working on because they, they touch my heart, particularly uh, working with, with prisoners, having spent some time in jail as a volunteer, <clears throat> just, as, just to be sure, sure you know that you might want to lock your car. Um, but I want to also ask you a question. If the gospel is really like this, if it really is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe, what if the best harvest fields in the world, which we think are get on a plane, make a connection somewhere else in the world, and go to these places where the gospel is spreading, but what if those harvest fields were actually moving into our communities, into our neighborhoods? You don't have any colleges here in Richmond, right? There's only, it's only Harrisonburg that has colleges. What do we have? VCU, University of Richmond, Virginia Union. Who else? Virginia State. Wow. I don't know if you've noticed, but people from all over the world like to come to college in America, and usually they're the brightest and the best. They're, 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 they're leadership. They're people that their country has said, we don't want to send just anybody. We're going to let these go. Some of those 
students are from countries that would be very dangerous for you to visit. And they're a long way from home. Mom and dad are Zoom away maybe, but nowhere near. And they may not see their parents until they return. What if you say, well, I'm not an evangelist. Yeah, but can you show hospitality? Could you get involved with those groups on the campuses that, you know, when holidays come, we got another one coming. They got no place to go. What if you just showed kindness and love and when your Christmas dinner was being served, you offered prayer to the God who made everything and saved us? One of the hardest mission fields I find as a, as a, as a parent is our children. Um, you know, the ones that grow up in church. And uh, I have a whole list of them that grew up in our church that have wandered far away. Um, it, it's, a, it's a sad list, but I've determined that uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight this battle. Because the seed's been planted, it just hasn't come up the way we want I remember two boys in particular from the church in Ohio that I served, uh, sons of one of our elders. Strict home, church every Sunday, devotions, do it the right way. Dad had been in the military. This is how we do it. Both boys went to college and said, Faith, I'm going to leave you in my history. And uh, I was talking to my friend uh, as I started working with ELI, and he told me the story of these two boys. The oldest one uh, was living in Springboro, Ohio, and uh, lived near a church that I was familiar with that was a good evangelical church. And that church had a vacation Bible school. And their kids ended up going to VBS. And they had a precocious daughter, and she came home from VBS, and she said, Daddy, you have to have us children in church this Sunday, and you and Mom should come too. Well, I have two daughters, and there's hardly anything I wouldn't do for them. Please don't give them this. Uh, they're adults now, but there's, there's nothing I wouldn't do for them. And so they went, and, the, and Dad was reawakened, and Mom was converted, and now they all go to church on Sunday. Prayer. What do we do with our kids who are resistant to the faith? Well, I, I, I think if that's you today, I hope you'll go back, read this passage again, read the other passage, get on your knees and pray for your kids. And don't treat them like your cajoling and constant reminding will be that which converts them. Obviously, you want opportunities to answer questions, to listen to their grievances and their concerns. But don't lose heart. There's a power in the gospel in and of itself. Well, secondly, also very exciting, the parable of the mustard seed. The kingdom of God grows dramatically. He says it's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. He's talking about the mysterious growth of gospel ministry. And he's speaking against this discouragement that can come from the failures, from the times we sow the seed and the responses. You know, it's interesting in the parable of the story, he didn't talk about negative responses. He didn't talk about people that start, try to kill you or imprison you. He talked about people who responded favorably in the beginning. 
Now, I, I uh, skipped over something I was going to say about Africa, um, which is that, you know, today the gospel in sub-Saharan Africa especially uh, is growing very, very rapidly. There's just, just so many people that are so open to the gospel. There's so many stories I could tell you in my own experience of an openness to the gospel. It's just hard to believe and hard to describe um, what God is doing there. But it wasn't always that way. Um, in fact, the, the first missionary uh, that I know of anyway to Malawi was a man named David Livingston, and some of you might have heard of him. He's, he's famous in Christian missions. He, he goes to Malawi, which was essentially interior Africa at that point, hard to find, really hard to get to, and uh, he begins as a medical doctor to preach the gospel and, and make disciples. But like so many others who followed in his footsteps, he died the way Malawians died. It wasn't called Malawi then, but you know, he died of malaria the way the folks there died. And initially, it wasn't like everybody came to Christ, but there was some time in the 20th century when Africans began to understand the gospel as the answer to the questions they asked, which Westerners never asked. What about the spirit world? What about the demons? What about the, what about the uh, magic tricks that are done in my village? What, what power is greater than that power? Well, it was Jesus Christ. They began to respond in great numbers. And this is what the gospel can do. Think about China. I remember as a college student, I had on a little prayer book, Pray for China. And, uh, you know, we didn't know much about what was going on. But then I went to a missions conference in 1979, and there was a guy there who had been a missionary when all the missionaries were kicked out. And there was this opening of the doors between the U.S. and China, and he went back and he met the disciples, the ones that were still living. And he heard the stories that later became books, the stories of how the church in China spread rapidly, how there were towns where 75 or 80 percent of the people had been converted, and they, even under the worst persecution, they would march through the town square on Easter with a sign that said, I am the resurrection and the life. Oh, how my heart was thrilled. And it's still spreading, even though the persecution is, again, difficult. You think of Korea, one of the great stories in the, South Korea, <clears throat> one of the great stories in the history of Christian missions where, where they went from a small percentage of Christians in Korea to a pretty significant one, largest churches in the world there. Where, where we work in Malawi, sub-Saharan uh, Africa is on Christ, and it, it feels weird after so many years in the U.S. and you realize this is kind of a hard place to do evangelism and discipleship. It's not as easy as it seemed. I feel like I've cut in line. <laughs> you know, I, they're like, here, you wanna come to the front of the line? Here, why don't you work with some people where lots of folks are being converted and where training is needed. And if you can teach at an eighth grade level, you can help us because many of the pastors we train have an eighth grade education or less, no fault of their own. It's not a matter of their ability, it's a matter of their opportunity. Don't lose heart, friends. Don't let the noise of what we hear in the world, whether it's social media or however you get your news, don't forget the power of the gospel. What did Paul say? You know, it wasn't easy when Paul was an apostle. It wasn't like everything turned to gold. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. 
Think about how the seed comes up as if by itself, the earth by itself produces this. The gospel has a power to produce something on its own. We don't even have to be great at it. We just have to get it out there. And we learn from this parable that sometimes it spreads so rapidly, it grows so much more. Don't despise the small beginning. But sometimes Christians are so afraid, they're afraid of what might come in the church, that they're afraid to go out of the church. They're afraid to get their hands dirty. You know, it's great to be generous. I want to encourage that. I'm going to speak to that in just a minute. Be generous with the wealth that God has given you. You come to Malawi, you'll see it's a lot more than you ever thought it was. And get some calluses on your knees. Perhaps literally get on your knees and pray as if nothing else would make a difference. But get your hands calloused too. Sometimes we want to protect the church protect the seed, we keep it in the barn. But, you know, the people who have the great stories are the people who get the seed out and sow it. You know, they sow enough that, yeah, there's some, some rocky ground here and there. But let me tell you the story about how I talked to this woman named T.C. Epperson, and she led somebody else to Christ. And I want to warn you about these parables not about how great the sermon is. I want to warn you about how great Jesus is. And as you think about this, as you meditate on this, you take it home and read it again. Something dangerous can happen. Some, something wonderfully dangerous, but dangerous. That is, you might start believing it. <laughs> and it might affect how you live your life. If the kingdom of God is really that great, if it is the pearl of great price if it is the treasure buried in the field, something might happen to you. Your life might be changed. You might have a, a second, third, fourth, fifth blessing from the Holy Spirit. And your prayers will be filled up. Sometimes they're kind of empty. They're kind of defeated. Once again, Aunt Minnie's toe is infected. We need to pray for her. We know nothing will happen. Unless the doctor can fix it, but let's pray. No. When you see what Jesus is saying, your prayers will be filled up with bold prayers. With prayers of, let your kingdom come. Lord, open the heavens. Come to earth. Do the great things we've heard of before. Let the book of Acts be in Richmond today. Let it happen for your glory. Oh, yes. Your finances will be turned upside down. Sometimes, all right, let's just be honest. Sometimes it's like, well, I got to, I need to be given to the church. I'm going to have to give a little bit. Maybe 5% if I can get there. Maybe I'll get to 10, but oh, I have to give. But when you see the kingdom of God, it turns your finances up and you're like, what can I give? How much can I live differently? Can I live on less so that I can give more so that those who are doing the work have all the funds they need for these great projects, for example? I have to warn you about what this might do to your children. You're worried about them. It might turn their lives upside down. They might see that Jesus is the pearl of great price. They might come and say anything for Christ, mom and dad. And then when they say, we want to go to some place that seems scary, you're going to go, no, not that. No. Your own heart will be, I'm so thrilled. I'm so thrilled that Jesus has caused you to fall in love with him and you want to reach people 
And we're going to see in a minute, you don't have to go to the ends of the earth to reach people from the ends of the earth. We've talked about that. You yourself will become a harvesters, uh, harvesters of the souls that God has chosen before time began. We don't know where the, where the fertile fields are. That's why we have to keep sowing. We have to keep, we have to keep opening doors with people in conversations. We have to learn how to be, be, be subtle and good at it to say, you know, Christ has changed my life. Someone's struggling in their marriage. I'm going to pray for you. Christ has made a difference in my marriage. And you ever want to talk about it? I'm always here for you. Now let's talk about getting our hands calloused a little bit. I hope you'll write some big checks uh, for, for, for this effort. Um, not just for the thing itself, but for what it does to your own heart to be generous over and above and beyond what you planned. You work with a group called Real Life with a formerly incarcerated homeless and uh, people coming off of drugs. Do you believe these parables? Do you believe the gospel has that kind of power? And I, and I love that, you know, there's no tension between caring for the poor and sharing Christ with them. It's not a one or the other proposition. It never has been, and anyone that's ever separated the two has just been wrong. You go to a place like Malawi, you understand. They don't have a benevolence. It's fun. Everyone's poor. We care for one another. It's just what we do. We love Jesus. We care for one another. If you believe that God is big and powerful and the gospel can make a difference, having spent some time in jail, doing Bible studies, it's such a difficult time. When prisoners do their time, they've done what society has asked for them, and now they've been released. Not a warm welcome. Not a happy thing. And guess what? Many of them go back to the things they know. What if you were there, standing in the gap with real life? What if you helped and you gave the spirit an opportunity? How about step? We saw the pictures of the wonderful children, jobs for life, victory reading. What an opportunity to be a, a seed planter in the lives of, of young people and others, people who give an opportunity, could, could uh, elevate them, themselves to a different place. What an opportunity to give and to get calluses on our knees, praying, Lord, send your spirit. And yes, to go. To go here. Maybe to invite, maybe to get involved with the international organizations on our campuses and say, I want to host four or five students for Christmas dinner. What an opportunity. Young uh, McDonald, Captain McDonald, didn't know as he was losing and running in fear that the German army was advancing over hundreds of miles of the front and that rather than being court-martialed, he would be commended for holding out as long as he did. And if we know history, we know that the German army's great success became their ultimate source of de final defeat. The bulge, they advanced on this front, and then the armies closed in to trap many of them and capture them. Their great success led to their ultimate defeat. It's easy to get discouraged. People walk away from the church. They walk away from the faith. They give into a, a Christianity that's just like what we're trying to battle in, in Malawi, where it's a blend of a bunch of things besides Christianity. Don't lose heart. 
don't be afraid. The gospel, it grows mysteriously. The earth, as if by itself, produces the result. The gospel multiplies. It's powerful beyond imagination. Get involved. Be generous. Pray frequently, powerfully. And let your own hands be calloused with the work. Let's pray together. Lord, how is it that we who are so weak and frail in our faith are invited into the great work of the spread of the gospel of the kingdom? But thank you. I pray for my friends. I thank you for them and how they've been generous and kind uh, to, to my family. And I pray that you'd bless this church and that we'd see the seed of the gospel bear fruit in many lives, many young people who not only follow Jesus, but follow him wherever he would have them go. Through Jesus Christ. Our Lord, we pray.